Welcome to Uncommons. I'm Nate Erskine-Smith. And while we've taken a bit of a hiatus from the podcast for the Ontario Liberal Leadership Race, this episode is focused in many ways on an issue that is central to that race and to provincial politics, the Greenbelt, the protection of the Greenbelt and the provincial corruption, the Ford government corruption surrounding the Greenbelt. We obviously have seen a scathing Auditor General's report. We now see there's an RCMP investigation underway. Recently, the housing minister's chief of staff has rightly resigned, although the minister has yet to do the right thing on that front. And we're joined to talk about all of this by David Crombie. David Crombie is the former mayor of Toronto from 72 to 78. He's a former cabinet minister in Clark and Mulroney governments. And most importantly for this conversation, he was the chair of the Greenbelt Council and resigned at the end of 2020 because he saw the direction that the Ford government was heading. David, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you very much. Good to be here. You were once described as the tiny perfect mayor here in Toronto, but I want to talk to you about provincial politics because you, well, you've never sat in the provincial legislature. You were a municipal politician and then a federal politician. You did sit once upon a time as the chair of the Greenbelt Council. Now, as a starting point, how did you come to that role? Well, I, I had done a report at the request of the then Liberal government in 2015, uh, and only bureaucrats can pick up this title, but I'll explain it. <laughs> it was called an uh, Integrated Plan Review, okay. uh, and, just to get your heart pumping. Uh, <laughs> and, and, but but what, what it was was very serious work. It took the Oak Ridges, Marine, uh, sorry, the, the Niagara Scarpment Plan of uh, 1983, the Oak Ridges Marine Plan of 2002, the Growth Plan of 2005, or two, the Green Plan of 2005, and the Growth Plan of uh, 2006. All four of those plans really provide the the uh, basic uh, land use and environmental planning around the Greater Gold Northship, right? And and it was the the, the the job I was asked to do with a panel and a, much public discussion, many meetings, was to make recommendations so we had similar language so that lawyers could follow it uh, in the three in the four acts uh, and make recommendations to make them better. Uh, we put in 87 recommendations, uh, and then the government changed. Uh, uh, I was asked to chair the, uh, the Greenbelt Council, which would be uh, responsible for making comment to the government on all four of those plans around the Greater Golden Horseshoe. The new government came in, and uh, uh, without telling anybody, they obviously decided to jungle home. Uh, and so far, they've knocked out the, uh, literally knocked out the growth plan. It doesn't exist now. Uh, uh, and they've changed the regional government. They have undermined the conservation authorities. They've done everything they can possibly do to take us back uh, as far back as anybody can remember. Well, let's talk about your frustrations in December 2020, because you're obviously sharing some frustrations now, but you were so frustrated at the time. And on a matter of principle, you and others stepped away from the Greenbelt Council. It's true. Um, we tried for a, a, a year or a bit, whatever it was, around there, 15 months or so. And our modus operandi was to send letters to the government. So we were part of the government, but our job was to advise them. Okay? And we chose to send them letters. And so we had to do it. Um, and uh, we would send letters. But 
not only were they not responding in any significant significant or serious way, they were doing things that were totally at, at odds with what we thought the mission was. Like uh, gutting conservation authorities. And, and gutting the conservation authorities. I've I've been a I've been a troubadour for the conservation authorities since I was a boy. All right. And, and uh, uh, it's been one of the great one of the great institutions in this province. One of the great institutions in North America. I used to give speeches around North America about conservation authorities. These guys just gutted it. They 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 took away the great benefit we've had from the conservation authorities since 1946. Um, and, and, and secondly, they then began to also change uh, the powers of municipalities uh, and the ability of the public to get involved in decision making regarding environmental land use planning. Um, we uh, we put in some more recommendations. They paid no attention. And most of the people who were involved in the council were, were serious people, serious about what they were doing. And in their own private worlds, they were professionals in one one form or another. So no one could be made a fool of for very long. So I resigned and six others out of the nine did as well. Well, they gutted those conservation authorities and then... They did win another election. And in the course of that election, they said, the people have spoken and we are going to protect the Greenbelt. And sitting here with you today, they're doing anything but. We we now know that they are carving out certain parts of the Greenbelt to the tune of, you know, Bennett, a windfall profit for a small number of develop- developers of over $8 billion, probably even more because that was a 2016 figure. And you saw this kind of thing coming very early on, that this was only a matter of course, that they were on track to do much worse things than the conservation authorities. Oh, oh yeah. We, we, don't, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't be soft about this. These people are not to be believed. This is a government that should not be believed. Whatever they're telling you, and it's the right thing, check it out. They're not to be believed. They lie in, pass- in passage while they're talking. Uh, so, for example, the premier... Uh, uh, before he was premier in 2018, we had the, he's on on videotape saying to a group of developers, um, "I will give you a, a chunks out of chunks out of the greenbelt." Um, and and then after that, he got elected, and everybody's saying you can't do that. Then he said, "Oh no, I won't touch a hair of his head." Well, he's actually giving credit. He's living up now five years later to the original to, promise. To the original promise, yeah. not the promise to the public. But the promise to those guys. Yeah, the promise in private. Absolutely. So, so the idea that somehow it's just happening, you know, it's it's from the beginning. It's in their bone. They he he, he at least was honest enough to say, you know, it's it's a scam. I don't believe in the green belt. It's a sea of weeds. Close quote. Okay. So no one should be fooling around here. This is not just going to adjust the green belt. They want to blow it up. Why? Because. Green belts are, are preserves for a long time. The point of having a preserve is to not have speculation in land prices. And so what he did with this is show that you can have speculation now. So it's not just confined to the, the land and what's known as the drap and the and the rouge, uh, the, the, the agricultural preserve as well. Uh, it's not just that. He's now let loose the, the hounds of speculation because, oh, there we are. Well, I want to I want to get to land swaps and speculation, but you mentioned lying and the dishonesty, and it, and it is pretty incredible because you watch. I mean, you read the Auditor General's report, and that's incredible enough. Yeah. And you've got a situation where there were 630 requests for land to be taken out of the green belt yeah. since 2005. Yeah. 
only 22 were actually considered, parcels were considered by the Greenbelt team, and 21 of those 22 parcels came to be considered directly from the hands of the housing minister's chief of staff, who now has recently resigned. It's, it's, it's incredible. The most incredible timeline that, that in reading that Auditor General's report is September 14th, you've got a situation where the housing minister's chief of staff, Amato, he attends a private construction dinner. You have developers that are literally handing him private packages and inc included in those packages is site nine. The next day, September 15th, site nine closes. And then the following day, September 16th, the housing minister chief of staff says we have three priority sites and one of them guess where it's site nine you, you can't you no, can't make it up no no this is i mean people got people are busy so they can't pay attention to all of this all the time but but if, if you could and and i do all right i mean this is a daylight robbery yeah this is not fooling around a bit of corruption here a bit of corruption there this is a heist yeah. they, these guys uh, are are bent on doing it which is why the notion that somehow uh, this uh, poor guy working for the minister is his chief of staff, he's taken the blame. I mean, again, listen to the premier. The premier says, um, the buck stops with me. Right? <laughs> I take full responsibility. That's why Amato's got to go. <laughs> I mean, it's unbelievable. You're a minister. Is there any world in which you wouldn't know what was going on in your office? No. Which, yeah, no. It's, yeah. A, it's, it's a gain of lie. I mean, I, I don't use, like to use these words. It's not my style, but but you got to get through to people. These guys just will not tell the truth, and they'll lie anytime they need to. And they've been doing it ever since. The idea that somehow the minister is not accountable for his chief of staff is so bizarre. It's right up there with with uh, being able to say, "Well, we're going to have a, a new democracy. The minority wins." Yeah, which is where they are on another issue. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, it, you, you say daylight robbery, I, I, I said, pretty much along the same lines, it's corruption in plain sight. And the government's ideology in many ways is do whatever you can to win, and do whatever you can get away with. Absolutely. I, 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 it hurts me to say it, because there, there, are, there are good principles that, 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 uh, that abided uh, good people, all three political parties, in my experience, and I've worked with all three of them. Yeah. Um, but but we, we really need to close ranks when it comes to people who boldfacedly lie and at the same time ruin the future for your children and grandchildren. That's what they're doing. And it's interesting because here I am, I'm a liberal MP, but running for the Ontario Liberal Leadership. And one of these questions is, how do you make inroads into more rural communities that have traditionally voted more conservative? And I find it interesting on two fronts. One, because now when I sit down with the Ontario Federation of Agriculture, yes. their number one issue Absolutely. is they're losing 319 acres of prime agricultural land a day, and they're yeah. really frustrated and concerned about the Greenbelt. The, the, the second piece is, just as a question of integrity, my father-in-law is in Kimlathi, Ontario, outside of Petrolia, outside of Sarnia. The farm's been there since 1834. He's a handshake kind of guy. Right. He, he's you, you, you are your word. And if you shake someone's hand, you, you mean it. And integrity is everything. Yes. And that's that, that's the if I could put it this way, that I hope that's the politics your party's gonna practice. Because you you people people are not don't easily trust government, but and, and they have different views on what the role of government ought to be. And certainly rural folks have a different view, generally speaking, than 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 but 
what crosses it for everybody is they bloody well want honesty in government. Yes. That's it's not complicated. They, they want honesty in government. If we depend on it, we, it, it, it sounds like a kind of noble virtue. It's it's that, but it's it's an essential ingredient. If you don't trust the bloody government, we're in trouble. And these guys are playing with trust like it's candy. Integrity is Doug Ford's greatest weakness, and it should be our greatest strength if we do if we do this right. And and, and you said before, people are busy; they they don't have time to look over their shoulder every day and see what the government's up to. They've got to they got to believe and have trust that the government is in this to serve their best interests and not private interests and 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 the government's own electoral interests. You mentioned land swaps and speculation. I, and and I'll start this with a, a bit of an anecdote. I was up in Sioux Lookout. I've gone there twice. Oh, good. Okay. Good for you. And I'm in the Legion in Sioux Lookout for the second time. And I'm there with someone. And he says to me, and we're talking Ontario liberal politics. And he says, oh, you're in for a tough fight. And I was like, oh, what do you mean? He goes, oh, that that Crombie, she's from a dynasty, you know, a family dynasty. <laughs> and I was like, well, what do you mean? He said, oh, that David Crombie, he's a real power player. You're going to have a hard time with that family. And I was like, what in the world? <laughs> and, and by the way, I don't think David Crombie appreciates land swaps. So, so tell me, why are land swaps such a problem? Well, land swaps, land swaps are a problem because if you're in the land development business, um, you're always, of course, having an eye out for the price of land, the cost of land. And so, so land speculation is part and parcel of the land development industry, but it's done with a kind of order and a set of principles and a process that, generally speaking, works for everybody that's open and public as, as it should be. But when you put in the preserve, and the reason they established both the agricultural preserve in the Rouge Valley uh, and the Green, and the Greenbelt generally, and said uh, it, it's it's all it's all, all preserved for agriculture and, and natural courses. Um, that, in order to make sure the price didn't continue to go up, um, then they, they had to make it preserve. And so, once you've broken that preserve, anybody owning land is going to say, "Gee, I could probably sell that land if I just hold on to it." And when the next guy comes around, and the next guy, the next developer comes around, the price will go up. So, it, it, it's uh, it, as soon as you allow it to happen once in a, and in a significant way. Then you're everybody else now is going to well we're back to the old days. Back to the old days means this, Nate. Uh, it, it means that farming, agriculture is what happens until the developer shows up. Yeah. Okay. And and the great thing about the preserve, the great thing about the green belt, is that is what happens. That we 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 think there's value to agriculture and natural forces in our lives. So they they've broken. The spirit of the place as well as breaking the law, in my judgment. And if you were there instead, the message is we would protect the green belt, or is the message we protect and expand the green belt? Well, it's interesting. Most people, up until the, the Ford government, uh, there were people in the Liberal government they, they saw a, a continuing expansion of the green belt. And the reason they did is that the old idea of green belt was constantly changing. So agriculture became a significant part of a green belt. But also you have um, towns or little towns, villages and hamlets uh, looking for their kind of activity within the green belt. So within the definition of green belt, uh, people understood it as also some community building as well as agriculture, et cetera. 
So, so it's a, 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 the expansion of the green belt meant simply more than just more green. Yeah, if I can put it that way. And do we need to build housing on the green belt? I, you know, it's 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 such a frustration for me because I see the real angst, especially among young people. They cannot afford to own a home. It used to take five years in this province. If you go back 45, 50 years ago for a young person to save up a down payment, 20% down payment. Now it takes 22 years across this province. And there are people who will reach out to us to say, I'm a single issue voter now. It's only housing. I care about climate. I care about the environment, but I'm a single issue voter because I am, I'm worse off than my parents. I'm, I'm, I, I can't even imagine owning a home at this point. And you've got Doug Ford that is now standing at a microphone. You talk about lying, but he, he stood at a microphone after that Auditor General report, and he made this all about housing. And he said, "Well, we have to for housing. That's fifty thousand units, five thousand affordable units, and we've got to we, we've got to do something. And this is what we're going to do." What do you make of the need to build housing on the green belt? There is no need to, pay, uh, to build housing on the green belt. There's lots of land already available for building. There's there's more there's building being done, more needs to be done. Do we have a crisis in housing? Yes, we have a very big crisis in housing. We have a big crisis in affordable housing as well. So the idea of building more housing is absolutely spot on. What they have cynically done is use it as a hammer. Yeah. Okay. Because they've they 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 do know the truth. They were um I think it's the order of at least the amount of land we're talking about that they think they need over the next 30 years, that land's already available, A, and B, their own task force on housing indicated that it was not a land problem, but a housing problem, right? It's not the land supply that we're looking for, it's the supply of housing. And there are things that can be done by the governments that they're not doing, including the federal government. And I hope that they're gonna really get together and start leading us. Let me just back up a bit. Some years ago, we built St. Lawrence neighborhood in downtown Toronto, 10,000, 12,000 people. We, we, we depended on the federal government. Donald McDonald was our hidden, our hidden guy, right? We went, to, went over to his office. We worked with Donald McDonald. We worked with the province. They had housing in their bones. They wanted to follow housing. Yeah. Our job was to create the ability to do so. Their job was to give us the dough and the talent to do it. Yeah. Now that's what's got to be restored. It was it was done by the uh, Barney Dance and Bell and, and and all those great people from the old Liberal Party. They were absolutely spot on on the need for federal government housing policy to be taking a lead. Luckily, at the same time, we had Bill Davis and his crowd at Queens Park today. They really need to recapture that because in the 90s, when they got afraid of uh, afraid of inflation, got, uh, the Martin was the, uh, the Martin and the Kikian government, they chopped all those policies away. Yeah. Okay? Now, maybe they thought they were doing the right thing. But the fact that we've got a housing problem is a fixable thing. It's a government policy thing. And what the federal government needs to do is grab this by the ears. And, and drive it home. It can do it because if the federal government shows up, everybody pays attention. So, do we have a housing policy crisis? Absolutely. Does, do we need more land for it? No. Every expert tells the provincial government that. Yeah, every housing expert, every environmental expert, they say the same thing. If we build gentle density everywhere, uh, greater density near transit, 
we can protect our green spaces and also build housing for everyone. And obviously that means unleashing the market to build the market supply we need and get NIMBYism and, and, and red tape out of the way. But it also means making sure that governments, as you say, especially the federal government and CMHC, back in the game on non-market housing in a really serious way. Absolutely. That's how we did it before. And that's how it was done even before my time. Uh, and we need to do it again. So um, everybody's not not particularly happy with the fact that uh, uh, the prime minister misspoke when he said, <laughs> yes, it is your responsibility. Uh, and it's so, yes, it can be done. Going back then to it shows the hollowness and the the vapidness of the way in which the, the, the provincial government goes about its business. It's not really talking and seriously about housing. They think they are. They think they are, but they're not. Because if they really were, they would quit with the more land and figure out ways in which they're going to make it more affordable so ordinary people can have a house that they own or want to own. Well, you mentioned the word cynically, and they are cynically using housing. And it is a a crisis in people's lives and yet you've got a government that is aiming to benefit their friends and they are using the crisis as a backdrop to get away with it that's absolutely right that's that's what they've done um they they to use the phrase other people use they weaponize the uh, the need for for housing that everybody feels and knows yeah um and and they've used it on the green belt there is absolutely let me back up. There's so much really hard work to be done to make it affordable for people that they're they're, they're wasting our time, their time, and a future when, by not paying attention to the fact that they need to talk of affordable housing and get the hell out of the green belt. The green belt has nothing to do with the housing solution to the housing crisis. Yeah, and you mentioned the task force. The Honor General picked up on that as well. But we've known this for a long time. Mary, Mary Margaret, our local MPP, she's great. She immediately had, and well before the Auditor General's report, but she did a, a rally in East Lynn Park here to protect the Greenbelt. And at that time, we knew, because the Housing Affordability Task Force had already released their report. Absolutely. We knew they were saying, Doug Ford, and I, I always say Doug Ford has done two good things. He set an ambitious target, 1.5 million homes over 10 years, and he put a lot of smart people around that task force to make recommendations, and then they completely ignored the recommendations, and they've done nothing good otherwise. But if you follow through on those recommendations, you can build the supply we need and also protect our green space. Yes, and, and actually municipalities, many municipalities, have already extended their boundaries or before, so that you don't even have to extend boundaries. You call it gentle density, absolutely spot on. We've done that before as well. If you walk around the city, okay, the, 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 the extended region, but there's lots of little places where they got four-story walk yeah, exactly, six-story. All of that was in the thing before. Exactly. So there's the mixes there. The, the only thing that's missing that this country's so wealthy, go to other places in the world. I mean, we got, we, we got everything going, the need, the ability to do it, and the resources to do it. And we're putzing around, wrecking, wrecking the green belt. It, it's, wor it's worse than putzing around because it, it, you're, you're wrecking the green belt. You're benefiting your friends, windfall profits. There's corruption on that side. And they talk about housing a lot to cover that up. But then on the flip side, if you were to go down the Danforth here, and, uh, and, and in, in my riding, you've got a site that Metrolinks just sold. It's near the Danforth GO station. It's near the Main Street subway station. They sold it for tens of millions of dollars. You want to guess how many affordable units are going to be built? 
zero. And there is such a lack of imagination with Crown land, especially Metrolinks and Go Area lands. And we could do so much with federal partnership and provincial partnership if there was a united seriousness to build housing, use of public lands, public dollars, faster approvals, greater density, we could deliver a lot of non-market housing. You, you've got it. And, and again, that's what we tried to do, did in the, in the 70s. And, and it, it, it does take uh, the combination of the governments. But I can say to you, we, you do need a local government that, that is willing to participate and find the land, help find the land. But there's lots of federal and provincial land to be used as well. But I, the federal government would show up the provincial government would have to show up. Yeah. And that's why I hope there's good deliberations going on with the federal government these days. Well, I, I have been vocal at the federal level, and, and, and I hope to see greater seriousness on the housing file. I, I have a lot of confidence in Minister Fraser. I'm just going to say, I saw him the other, well, it's not part of the program. Yeah, yeah. But I, I thought he did. I think his instincts are right, is what I hear from yeah, he, he wants a greater level of ambition, as, as so many of us do, and, and I hope we see it through. Now, I'll say also in the green belt, you know, for all of the federal action and intervention that Gilbo can can bring to, to the bit to the to the fore, for all of the conversations we can have and the accountability from the Auditor General, the best way to protect the green belt is at the ballot box. And we do need to see a change in government. And I'm working hard in the leadership race. Now, part of the, you know, there are two questions I think that happen in this leadership race. One is the direction people want for their party. And there's some differences between the candidates in, in this regard. And the second question is, who is best placed to beat Doug Ford? And I'm out there, crisscross in the province, I've been to over 110 ridings now out of 124, some some more than once. And it's a big province. It's a and big province. I really think that we've got to make sure that people who are going back and forth between maybe voting for the Green Party or voting for the Liberal Party, they've got to see a home in the Liberal Party, that we're going to take climate action and environmental protection seriously. We're going to take housing seriously. When you've got swing voters as between the NDP and the Liberals, we've got to make sure we're properly investing in public health care, public education, and those swing voters have to see a home in the Liberal Party. And there are voters like you who have historically identified as red Tory and are incredibly frustrated with the status quo we see at Queen's Park, you need to have a home in our party. Now, your namesake has said she's open to, to land swaps. I've been crystal clear on protecting the Greenbelt. I don't want to get into the weeds of this person said this and that person said this, but if we are not a party that is committed to protecting the Greenbelt, if we're not a party that takes seriously environmental protection not only for the sake of protecting the planet and nature for our kids, but also about creating jobs, also about creating economic opportunity. Are you going to have a home in our party? Uh, I don't, I'm not sure. Uh, for, for me, um, have I voted liberal in the past, for example, to cut to the chase? I have. Um, do I vote Tory now? No, I, it hurts me, but I don't. Yeah. All right. So that's done. And, um, if, and if a leader for the liberal party is open to land swaps, do you vote liberal? <laughs> well, it, they should not be open to last. There, there's no doubt. But, uh, we're, we, well, we back up because I'm trying to give you an answer. I think is most well, yeah. honest one. Hope it's understandable one as well. <laughs> um, uh, uh, we've had those of us who've been in the field against the government for the past couple of years now. Uh, we've had a hard fight because we haven't had any leadership from the Liberal Party in, in the province. I don't blame them. They don't have a leader. Um, 
And, and we've had, I haven't had much from the NDP because that lady split. So the two of opposition parties have, have not had a, they worked hard the ones who were there, but they have not had a point to cover against the government. Only the Greens have been more clearly what the voice is. Yep. So we're hoping the opposite, we're hoping the opposition parties are going to get a leadership uh, situation with now the NDP with Merrick Stiles. But the Liberals are the one party that can actually lead, in, in my judgment. Um, I, 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 I'm going to stay out of the race, um, and I, but I come from roots which are, they may not be NDP, but they're old CCF. My folks were very old CCFers. And, and so, so I understand the, the, the political framework we're in. Here's our fear. Our fear is that the, the, the emerging Liberal Party, and it's going to emerge stronger than it was, uh, and the NDP and the Greens, but we're, we're afraid that the opposition is going to fragment. Yeah. And that's a real problem. So if I have a problem, it's trying to figure out how we don't get the opposition parties all fragmenting. The one thing we're trying to do now is to at least get them all roughly on the same page with the green belt. Yeah. Okay. And that could be done. That part can be done. But um, it, it's essential that the, let me, how do I put this best? Uh, I think the Liberal Party is the party that can actually do it. Because uh, we, <laughs> Carl Jaffrey, an old NDP guy, he said he was a counselor years ago. And he used to say, you can understand a socialist, though you may not agree. Yeah. You can understand a conservative, though you may not agree. But liberals, he was an NDP. <laughs> Liberal, <laughs> liberals is swine. They work both sides of the street and the buggers win. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting. I grew up in an NDP household. My parents were both teachers. Okay. And my first experience in politics was on the picket line in the Harris years. Yeah. And it's a very, it's a, it's a great motivating force, I'll tell oh, you, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to, to see politics as a way to make a difference and to get involved. Yes. And and yet, I, I never felt at home in the NDP in part because that there wasn't that same level of seriousness of not only how do we win, but how do we build a really serious plan for when we win? And you know, the values in many ways are shared, not on everything, but values in many ways are shared. I want to see more affordable housing. I want to see stronger action on the opioid crisis. I want to see stronger environmental action. But even federally, take climate action as an example. You would see scorecards in advance of federal elections and the Green Party and the NDP would have greater ambition, but ours would be more pragmatic and credible. And we would actually be able to get things done. And that for me is, you know, where the Liberal Party ought to occupy is, is delivering a level of ambition. Of course, I want to see great ambition, but also delivering a level of credible action to make that ambition a reality. I'm really glad to hear it. I, and I say that I, I'm really glad to hear it because I think it probably is going to be left to the Liberal Party to find a way in which they bring the others together. It, it, it's not a policy decision is not so bad. I think they can do that. They can certainly do it in the green belt right yeah. now. It's not a problem. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and, and that's, we worked that, but it's not. So it's a it's a way in which we deal with the election when it comes. How we how we cope with that. Those of us who are in these various organizations, I belong to a, an organization called the Alliance for Livable Ontario. Yeah, and we're growing every day. And there's lots of people, agriculture, small towns. We're doing barnstorming stuff uh, uh, all next starting in September. 
but part of the objective of all that is to say, vote your heart, but these are the policies that are going to keep the province going in, in, in the direction it ought to. Will it be led by the Liberal Party? I hope so. I really do. Because I think it's easier for them. It's easier for them than the other party. The Greens are not a factor in the same way. And the NDP, um, Merritt Stiles, I know she's a good lady and they're good people. But we, we need them supporting a Liberal government to defeat the Tories. Well, I think as Liberals, I think if we deliver a really strong economic agenda, yeah. if we yes. commit seriously to fiscal sustainability and making sure that we deliver lasting social progress, but on a fiscally sustainable footing, if we make sure we don't cede fairness and compassion to those in need, and I've already articulated, but I think the most important value in politics is integrity. Yeah. And I think we will bring a lot of people to the table with that integrity. I, I think, you know, in my own experience already over the last eight years in politics, there are people who vote for me in Beaches East York who are more progressive conservative, who don't like the leader necessarily in, 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 in you know, in, in most decisions as far as it goes, but they'll vote for me because I do what I say I'm going to do. And I'm a person of my word. And, and I think that does go a long way when you look at building that kind of coalition. Now, what I worry about is if we have a leader who isn't able to bring those swing voters over to our table, if we have a leader who isn't credible on building housing because of a particular track record, if we have a leader who isn't credible on the green belt because they've said they're open to land swaps, not credible on the green belt because they've taken a significant amount of money from developers who want to build on the green belt, I see a massive lane for the NDP and the Green Party, and we are going to get that fragmentation. Yeah, uh, there's no doubt that whatever happens to the leadership, um, You've got to, the Liberal Party has to end up with a, with the credibility on those policy issues you just mentioned. Um, and, and I think for less of those of us who are laboring away in civil society, we need to find a way in which we're pushing yes. those parties to say, we got one voice here, yes. at least when it comes to these crucial things. Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. And do you have any words for the, you've had words for the federal government on housing. What's your message? That I should be delivering to Minister Gilbo and the government on pushing the province on the green belt. Um, you can have a lot of really interesting conversations, but you have a serious conversation when the federal government shows up with a willingness to do something. And, and we've already met with uh, with uh, Minister Gilbo, and uh, uh, we've kept kept up with uh, that. We we think uh, our, if I have any worry at all is that he's held back by members of his own party. Um, who may have other thoughts, uh, and 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 I think that what's now shaping up is a pretty good with with Ford, etc. And the issues here, I think, is a pretty good demonstration that we need the federal government to take a, a, a bold move. It's not easy for them because they'd like to defend or need to depend on the on the Ontario government for certain other policy issues. But this is a really important one, and so I'm hoping that Ivoka has a has the support he needs in order to do what I know he wants to do. And so if anything, it's about pushing in caucus to say supporting Stephen's efforts and making sure we're really clear cut in public and we do everything we can and use every federal tool we can to push back against the Green Bell development where it pushes up against federal jurisdiction. Yes, and it will be one of those things when it comes to the federal election that will be a distinguishing feature because uh, I think you're going to find that the federal Tories are going to find themselves uh, involved with the Ford Tories, or at least people, they're not going to disown them. And so if you've got a, a, 
you've got the, the it will be a, the point of difference, a significant point of difference between the liberals and the conservatives federally when it comes to the election that one went green and the other didn't. Last question. You were a minister in a few different portfolios, initially in the Clark government for a short lived period of time. And then, <laughs> you know, you might have got your briefing notes and then that was that. It was a, <laughs> a short time. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, in the Mulroney government. And you would never have found yourself in the situation that Minister Clark finds himself in because you have more integrity and, and I've, I've, I've seen your politics. But if not just me, anybody, anybody, anybody that uh, someone the other day made a really good point. There's a difference between responsibility and accountability. Yes. We don't know who are responsible for all the things about the green belt. Yes. Right. There are a lot of many hands and many fingerprints. Yeah, we don't know. Not, I don't have the discovery. As I don't have to look out who's accountable. Yeah. And that's the minister. Yeah. And these guys are making a second mistake now. Nobody believes what they what they want us to believe, that somehow the minister and the premier are not accountable. They are. And on that basis, I think I can I think I know the answer then, which is if you were you believe enough in ministerial responsibility that if that happened on your watch, you would have resigned already. He should have resigned. There's no doubt about it. I think he still will. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for joining. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Uncommons. Now, I have to plug, of course, the liberal leadership race. So the deadline is September 11th. If you are interested in shaping our party, shaping our politics, shaping our province, please join by September 11th. It is free to do. You can do it at meetnate.ca. And I should also note, because this has been a more partisan podcast, that no federal resources were used for the making of this podcast. And we're actually transitioning the podcast towards provincial politics, of course, as we pursue the leadership race. You can always reach out at team at meetnate.ca. You can still reach me on social media at beynate. And if you want to reach me directly, nate at meetnate.ca. Hope to have your support and I hope you help build this with me.